Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Today we sit down with NFL veteran and Super Bowl champion Aaron Moorhead. Aaron played high school football in Deerfield, Illinois, college football at the University of Illinois where he won a Big Ten championship and took his team to a Sugar Bowl. He then played five seasons for the Indianapolis Colts and then beat our home team Chicago Bears in the 2006 Super Bowl. He's coached all over the place and we will get into that in his bio. I got the chance to hang out with him down at Vanderbilt where he's now coaching the Commodore wide receivers. What I really respect about Aaron is his resilience. He was a good high school football player that went unrecruited essentially. Through gritty work ethic, turned himself into a Super Bowl champion, and he has taken that mindset and applied it to every area of his life. Listen close to this one, there's a lot to be learned. Well, I mean, to start from square one, I went to Deerfield High School, um, and we were, you know, coming coming out at that time, we weren't throwing the ball around a lot, so um, I had some good film, and, and and it's funny now that now that I'm in college, you know, it was good, it wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Now that you watch film all the time on high school kids, but um, at the time, you know, we didn't throw it around a lot. I didn't have a lot of opportunities, so I ended up having to uh, walk on, and I didn't have a lot of offers um, to walk on. I mean, I didn't have I didn't have scholarship offer anywhere. I had I had a chance to walk on essentially Illinois State, uh, Southern Illinois, Illinois, and uh, Ball State was really my options mm-hmm. and. Uh, Leslie Frazier was there, who was, uh, you know, he was a teammate of my dad's and used to have camps and stuff in Deerfield with uh, when he was at Trinity as a coach. And so he he just said, hey, we'd love to have you um, as a walk on and ended up going to school there. And, you know, my my dad always kind of told me the cream rises to the top. And 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 when if you're there and you're you're the best player, they're going to play you. And he goes, they can't stop you if you're the best guy and so when I got there the first year I really realized I could play there like pretty quick I mean not that there wasn't talented guys there but I just knew I was just as good if not better than those guys but um you know I red shirted my first year I was like 188 pounds so I was skinny you know I had to put some weight on and uh and being 6'3", you know that you know what that looks like. So mm-hmm. uh, my second year, I came back. I think I was right around you know 198, 199. I'd put on about 10 good pounds of muscle and uh, played a lot as a redshirt freshman. Earned a scholarship after that season, and uh, you know the rest was history there at Illinois. You know we ended up winning the Big Ten in 2001, mm-hmm. and. My senior year, 2002, uh, left out and, and was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to go to go play with the Indianapolis Colts. Again, I was an undrafted free agent, and uh, you know a lot of guys didn't a lot of guys didn't understand how to be an undrafted free agent. Well, for me, it was second nature. It was you got to outshine the guys that are that are there, or else you're not going to get an opportunity. So, um, a lot of guys would get frustrated with their reps and get frustrated with all these different things. And I just went and played as hard as I could and, and made plays when they threw me the ball when I got my opportunities. And then I started getting more of them. And yeah. then I made the team. Um, you know, long story short, played five years. We won the Super Bowl in my fourth year. Um, against Chicago, which we'll get into later, I'm mm-hmm. sure at some point. And, uh, and um, you know, two back surgeries later, I started thinking about what I wanted to do. And I said, man, I got to figure this thing out. And um, they had a coaching internship that they had done throughout 
uh, all my years there in Indy, and I always helped out with this high school called Pike High School in Indianapolis. It was right by my house. So all summer I would help coach with those guys, and it gave me a great opportunity to help young men and, 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 and right there in my community that I lived in. So it was fun. You know, I'd see the guys around town. I'd see them at the barbershop, see them at the grocery store, and, and I, they called me coach. They didn't call me Aaron Moorhead, the wide receiver for the coach the Colts. They called me coach, you right. know. So – that was fun, you know, and that was really my first time that I really thought, man, this might be something I want to do. So um, after I was done playing, I was coaching over there at Pike, and, and that's what I kind of said. I want to coach now full-time, not just come for the games and come for summer. Like, I want to coach full-time. Yeah. So I was there for the whole off-season program, and and uh, we went through training camp, and, and my house sold. And so this is like right at the beginning, right before the first game, and I had to leave, you know, and I didn't have a place to live. I had to go. I had to leave. So I ended up leaving, and I went home, and, and um, I was staying at my dad's house in Northbrook, and I just said, man, I'm going to go look at this job and that job. And I was interviewing for different, some, some different financial jobs and coming out of college, some, some marketing things, and uh, it just wasn't clicking for me. And... You know, I wasn't in a rush. I just got done playing five years. I wasn't in a rush to like jump right into a job. Right. And my dad came home one day and said, you're not sitting on this couch either. Mm -hmm. And I'm sick of you sitting on this couch every time I come home. You're never doing anything. And I said, this is why I live by myself, so I don't have to hear this. You know, we started, we were joking around. And he said, why don't you just go up to the high school and see if they'll let you help out of the football team. And I just kind of clicked. I'm like, why didn't I think of that three weeks ago? Right. You yeah. know? Yeah. And and so I went over and I and I humbly asked Coach Winecki if I could help. And of course, you know, he was my receivers coach when I was in mm -hmm. high school. And he's like, Of course you can help. Like, why would you not you should have right. come when you came home, you know? Right. And so I, I I volunteered to to help with the receivers that year and you know, we they had a receivers coach, so I just kinda helped with them and and uh and uh you know, that's where it started. And and so that's kinda how it began. And, and then, you know, through the years of uh, going to the big, they have big coaches conventions actually here in Nashville. And, and I went with some of the Indianapolis coaches um, who I still talk to to this day. Those guys took me up there with them to the, to the coaches convention. And, and uh, I they introduced me to a bunch of people. I kind of got my first taste of the college coaching world. And I actually ended up meeting with one of the coaches from uh, University of Illinois where I played, uh, one of the newer guys. And he ended up getting a, a a job as a head coach uh, at University of New Mexico, Mike Loxley, who's yeah. now the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Mm -hmm. And Lox wow. allowed me to come be a graduate assistant for them. So my plan was I was going to go to grad school at Northeastern and get my graduate degree in, element, in, in education, and I was going to become a coach and a teacher. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, why wouldn't I go up and try to see if I can go to college? I'm still yep. going to get my grad degree, yep. and I can figure it out from there. So I did it, and that's how I started. You know, I ended up moving up, uh, moving over to Stanford, and I was there for three years um, as a quality control coach, which essentially was the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I was able to, you know, we, we were really good and won a lot of games, and, and, and I was able to, to meet a lot of good people, and... Um, I ended up getting my first full-time job at Virginia Tech with Coach Beamer. I know you guys have had, had on, exactly on the show, right? right? Yeah. So so Coach Beamer gave me my first full-time job, and, and um, then I moved there to Texas A&M for the last three years. And after Coach Sumlin let go, uh, when he got let go, we really 
weren't sure what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I was I was messing around with a couple different schools with some NFL stuff. I just wasn't sure exactly what what the next step was going to be. And Coach Mason called me, who was the DB's coach and the defensive coordinator at Stanford when I was oh, there, wow. who's yeah. the head coach at Vanderbilt, and said, well, "Why don't you come interview and come here and, and see what you think?" And you know, it was a fit. Two months later, we're sitting here and we're yeah. we're on practice tennis spring ball, and it's been fun. So you know, kind of. The, the fast version of it, it's kind of cool. I mean, it's, 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 it's for me, it's a tale of working my butt off from the beginning and, and, and putting myself in a position now where, you know, I'm still getting to do what I love, which is coach football, and, and, and I love being a part of that. Yeah. No, I think it's amazing. I, I think it's a lesson that a lot of people need to hear. We're sitting here in a, I hope, don't be embarrassed by this, but yeah. a massive, cool office in a really cool facility window of you, uh, Super Super Bowl championship, uh, posters on the wall, all that kind of stuff. And it seems like at every level, and you're a young guy still, so like the sky is the limit really, but I love the fact that at every level it was like walk on to scholarship, uh, undrafted free agent to Super Bowl champion, right. uh, volunteer when you first start coaching. These are these are things, I'm not kidding, and I, and I don't mean to... I think there's a lot of reasons to be super optimistic about like the the next crew of whatever the youth right, right. now, but um, but I'm always super skeptical of social media and um, and the from what I've seen at times the lack of willingness to uh, like for like as talented as, as talented as you may be volunteer or just show up every day and kind of prove your worth instead of um, asking for a pay that you think is commensurate with your current abilities or whatever it might be. There's something refreshing about it. And there's also something super tried and true. You mentioned Coach Beamer. He started as a volunteer coach. Right. I think everybody kind of cuts their teeth in that way. Well, it, when, when you're volunteering, to me, you're trying to prove your worth. Mm-hmm. You're trying to prove that you should get a full-time job, whether it's as a graduate assistant, whether it's as a receivers coach or position coach, mm-hmm. whether it's anything, a quality control. Like, you're volunteering, you're not making any money. You're doing this for free. So. Right you're grinding trying to prove to everybody that you are a good coach or that you can help or have value to that organization, whether it's high school, college, or or anywhere, you know? So, I mean, I didn't go in it saying this is what I should be. I went in and said, I'm gonna prove to them and show them why mm. I should be considered for jobs. And you know what? It hasn't always worked out, right? you know? I mean, I haven't gotten every job I wanted. I haven't, I haven't gotten, no, no, I've got some really good jobs, and yeah, I love yeah. my jobs, you <laughs> yeah. know. But, but you know, I mean, I thought, like, for a good example, when, when my, our second year in New Mexico, um, I left after the first year. I thought because I was a graduate assistant and our receivers coach left, mm-hmm. um, and I thought he was just going to give me the job. Mm-hmm. Like, I had basically coached the receivers that year. So why can't why wouldn't you hire me? Mm-hmm. And he said you're not ready yet. And me, I'm like I am ready. So now I'm starting to look for jobs. And I'm like, you know what? I'm getting out of here because I don't have I don't know anybody in college football. Mm-hmm. And then, you know everything is about networking. Mm-hmm. And I started looking for jobs. So I said if he didn't hire me now, he's never going to hire me. Mm-hmm. And I look back on it, and he was right. I wasn't ready. Right. But me in that time, sure. I'm 29 years old. I just left the NFL. I just coached these guys. I feel like I got them better. I think I know everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but but he wasn't ready to hire me, and he wanted to hire somebody with more experience. And as a head coach, 
you get that mm-hmm. now, but mm-hmm. then that's not my thought process. But it also allowed me to get to Stanford, which was really the stepping stone of where I am now. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was what it was. And I think that, but but that was disappointing to me. Like I wanted sure. that job. I mean, I felt like I, I had earned it. I wanted it. I worked hard to try to prove to everybody why I deserved to do that. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't get it, you know, and there's, there's other jobs throughout college football you know, when I was at Stanford as a quality control, I mean, I wanted the Illinois receiver's job as bad as I could ever have it. I, mm-hmm. I begged them every year that there was a new coach or a change. I tried to get an interview. I couldn't even get an interview. You know, there's jobs that opened up um, at, at smaller schools where I couldn't even get an interview. And you're, you're almost like, what am I doing wrong where I can't get an interview for these people? And then, um, you know, I look up and a couple years later, I'm waiting and, and my phone rings and it's, it's Coach Beamer asking me to meet with me, you know, and so mm-hmm. things happen for a reason, you know, and, and, and that's that's part of our job. It's part of what we do. And, and you've got to take the ups with the downs. And, you know, everybody's path is different, you know, and, and Coach Mason, our head coach here, Derek Mason, he started as a high school coach, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and he's proud of that, you know. Yeah. And so there's a lot of guys in our profession that are big name guys that started off as high school coaches. Sure. So um, I kind of consider myself that I started off as a high school yeah, coach. I really only did it for like seven weeks of one season because mm-hmm. I didn't go through the off season or any of that. I kind of right. did it for seven weeks, but you know, I did. I didn't. I didn't go right into college. I, I did. You know, and then I helped at, at Pike for all, you know all those years. So I kind of think I, I got the feel of what high school coaches mm-hmm. go through. You know, and I think there's some value in that when you're recruiting. You know what they're going through. It's hard. I mean, those off-seasons are hard trying to pull those kids out of the hallway and right. trying to make sure that they're always at the lifts or always at the workouts. And, you know, they have family things going on. And they say, Mom said, I have to go do this. Mm-hmm. And, and you've got to try to find a way to get that kid to school or, or explain to the mom that we need him at practice that day and he can't just miss, you know, and stuff yeah. like that, that that those guys all deal with. And, and I was dealing with it. So, um it's cool. It's, I, 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 I really appreciated my time being around those high school guys. And I still talk to some of those kids, so it's kind you, of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that might be some, one of the best parts is that you, for me at least, we, I, I, I started at and have stayed at the high school level. Um, I've kind of bop, like poked around at the college level and, and obviously through stuff like this been involved in a very, very minor way. But like, there's something about being with uh, kids at that age, like so incredibly influential, going yeah. through some of that stuff with them um, for the first time in their lives, managing, um, you know, pressures from home, uh, potentially like jobs or other responsibilities. Certainly, like academics, they're all they're all in class for eight hours a day before you even see them most right. times. Um, so yeah, there is something really unique like that. I really I love this idea though, man, and I, and I hope people really listen to it. Uh, you you made me think of this. It's almost like volunteering your first couple of years when you're proving yourself. Like that's your resume, yeah. right? Like maybe maybe uh, you shake hands and know a few people and that gets you in the door. But that first year of volunteering, that's like your resume. That's your that's your interview. That's like your coaching game tape almost. Yeah, right? that, that's that's like where you prove it. I really like that idea. Speaking of game tape, um, what from your playing career because you had a very successful one. What do you take from that and translate uh, to your coaching career? Some, there's this idea out there that sometimes really good players find it difficult to uh, translate that. Like their talent doesn't translate into coaching necessarily. It's almost, I, I hope, I'm not worried that Mike's going to listen to this. So it's like the Michael Jordan effect on right. this. You know what I mean? 
What, uh, what, what have you been able to kind of bottle and give to other people? Well, I would, I would say this, and, and I, there is some, something to that. You know, I'll tell you a mm-hmm. funny story. In, in my office, uh, one, of my, one of my former coaching mates, Chester uh, McLaughlin, who passed away uh, when we were at Stanford, and Chester and I were, were quality controls together. He played in the NFL for a long time. And Chester was a really good player. Yeah. And he was he was gonna be and we were fighting to get these jobs and, and there's a there's a very bad stigma from NFL players amongst college coaches that said that we don't know how to work, we won't work, we won't do what we're asked, you know, to do sometimes because we think we got it all figured out. And you have to break that. And we were we would always talk about, man, we gotta break this. We gotta mm-hmm. we gotta keep doing what we're doing and and uh Chester, you know, passed away. And that it hurt me, man, because that was one of my one of my really good uh friends and, and allies on that staff and um but Chester so when Chester played, he was probably like six Five, six, six, about three hundred sixty-five pounds, defensive wow. tackle. Yeah. But he moved like mm-hmm. a linebacker. Mm-hmm. And Chester would tell his guys, he's like, "Well, just you know, kind of just do this and do that." And the guys were like, "Chester, I, I can't do like." <laughs> yeah. He would just do these little hand moves, like, "Well, just do that and just do that." Yeah. And the guys like, "I can't do that," right. you know, like. But he was so strong, mm-hmm. and you know, he was one of those guys that. They, they, they Coach Shaw, when we were at Stanford, would laugh. He, go, he goes, Chester might not have played hard every play. Yeah. But he goes, about five plays a game, he was going to show you that you couldn't block him and there was nothing you could do about it. Right, yeah. And so, <laughs> and so you know, there is a little bit to that where you, there's stuff that you do so naturally that maybe this kid doesn't, and you mm-hmm. have to get out of your wheelhouse a little bit and say, okay, why is he struggling with this? Right. And as years of experience come on, you start to figure that out, but you've, you've got to find a way to get out of your comfort zone. And, and it's still frustrating at times because you, you, you don't think it's that hard mm-hmm. when in reality for that kid, that particular thing might be hard, you know? And then there's other things I think are super hard that some guys think are really easy, you, yeah. you know? And mm-hmm. so there's a little bit of push pull with that, but I, I really, um, I really kind of understand but that perspective, you know, and you've got to be able to dumb it down if you're at the high school level. You've got to be able to to ramp it up in the college level, and you got to have you got to have elite elite coaching mechanics as as a professional because sure. now you're talking about lengthening careers, you're talking about contracts, you know, all those different things. The college level, you're just talking about getting them to the NFL. Where yeah, yeah of course, the difference between an undrafted free agent and the in the top ten pick. Is, is is a world of money, mm-hmm. you know? But in nowadays in the NFL, your second contract where you're getting your money anyway. Right. So our job is to prepare them to be the best college player they can be and put themselves in the best position to go get paid in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it at the high school level, it's different. You know, mm-hmm. you're trying to build life skills. You're trying to make these kids good players. You're trying to win games. You're trying to win a state championship. All those things add up. And if they get a college scholarship, great. We all mm-hmm. know the numbers. Right. The numbers of getting a college scholarship out of high school are, are for football is nuts, yeah. and it's just not 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 that easy to do, mm-hmm. you know. And and so um, that's what I kind of try to preach to these guys when we recruit them, and just say you don't understand how blessed you are. I know you're hanging around a bunch of other guys that have all these offers, and you guys are just in that circle, and you get it. Right. It's like when we hang out in our football world, mm-hmm. and you're around other guys that are coaching college football, and there's all these other coaches that like die to have our jobs. Like mm-hmm. you kind of get complacent, not complacent, but you just think that's the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And and 
you know, all you have to do is look down at our GA office and you're going to find four dudes that would that would literally do right. anything for my job. And, right. and that brings you right back to reality. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's there, there's you've got to find a way to make it work for for what you're trying to do. And you've got to be smart enough to know that from a talent standpoint, maybe there's stuff that you could do that they're not going to be able to do, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so. But there's a reason coaches like recruiting players like themselves because yeah. you understand it, they understand it. <laughs> That's a good it's a point. lot easier to do it, you yeah. know. The, the transfer works much better in that way. What about, like, from a mindset perspective? I'm seeing all this stuff on the walls. Um, what was your mindset as a player, and how do you kind of instill that into uh, the kids you coach? You know, it was about toughness, and it was about consistency. And, you know, at the end of the day, this is – they're trying to make it not, but this is a tough guy sport. Mm-hmm. And if you're not a tough guy, it's hard to last. Mm-hmm. You can fake it for a little while and you might get away with it. At some point, you're going to get exposed. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is if you get exposed on a Saturday night when we need you. And, and, and that's where you've got to develop. Without two-a-days anymore, it's hard to figure out the mentality yeah. or mental toughness of kids because you don't have two-a-days. You can't, you can't see it anymore. Mm-hmm. right? So you've got to kind of figure it out and... and you know that's that's a big thing, you know, and it's in in something that Coach Dungey always said. There's no excuses and there's no explanations. Period. Mm-hmm. You do your job, you get it done, you do it the best of the best of your abilities, and, and and the thing will work out the way it's supposed to work out. Yeah. And that's really my mentality as a coach. It's 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 really pretty simple. At the end of the day, for the wide receivers, it's do your job, get open, get the ball in the end zone. Yeah. Right. Do your job is a broad term. But sure. We all we have a job on every play. Mm-hmm. Right. When it's time to get open, get open, and when they throw it to you, catch it and go score. Yeah. Right. And if you have that mentality, play after play after play after play, you end up becoming a very consistent player. You know, and and we all know it's football. Things happen. It's mm-hmm. not going to be perfect. Right. right? There's going to be drop passes. There's going to be missed assignments. There's going to be all sorts of things. You know, but but what we have to do is demand that that demand and, and, and teach and hold them to the standard of our program. And, you know, that demand starts with the head coach and it mm-hmm. goes down to the coordinators, it goes down to the position coaches, then to the GAs and then to the players. Right. But that standard shouldn't change. You know, the only thing the standard should do is go higher. Yeah, completely you know? agree. Did you, how much of this did you get from Coach Donji? I love this story. I, I was just talking about him on another podcast actually that I was on, but he, he talks about, um, especially in that Super Bowl year, having like anchor concepts, making it small so that people can go fast, you know, just like uh, that do your job thing yeah. is basic. It, it, it's simple, um, let me try, what's the right way to say this? It's like elegant in its simplicity. The toughest part about it is to like you mentioned, under the bright lights or maybe late in the game when conditioning is a factor, to not get bored with that. Don't get bored being right is something that we say all the yeah. time, but start by doing your job. It was What was it like being with him that year especially, um, and, and how did everyone kind of rally around him in that year, if that was part of it? Well, you know, it was it was crazy because, you know, his son had died the year before. That's right. And everybody thought that, um, everybody thought that, um, that we uh, let him down, that we didn't win the mm-hmm. year before. Because the year before was the most talented team we did, had. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we were... We, any guy that played in that era with us will tell you mm-hmm. that was the most talented team the year yeah. before. And the year after, we were talented. We were good. Mm-hmm. 
but we weren't as we weren't nearly as good as we were the year before. And and just so happened that we ended up winning the Super Bowl the next year, and then a lot of different things happened. But but we were we were definitely wanting to win that for coach because we felt like we let him down. Hmm. And uh, but but yeah, I mean every, with Peyton Manning, you there was no let down. It was every snap yeah. was right. The game's on the line, you know, yeah. but that's how he had it with us. Mm-hmm. And there was no other way that it was going to get done on offense. Mm-hmm. And, and Coach Dungey's not a yeller. He's not a screamer. He's got a way of looking at you a certain way. Yeah. We're like, almost like you just let your dad down. I know that type. And, sure. and, it, and, it, and it almost hurts worse. You wish mm-hmm. he would just yell at you and curse you out. Seriously. And the other way, you just like, your heart sinks. You're mm-hmm. like, nah, just let Coach down. Like, I got to do better. Like, next play, like, I've got to do better. Yeah. You know, and, and Peyton was kind of the opposite. So it was like you kind of had the best of both worlds with sure. that where, you know, our offensive coordinator, Tom Moore, was like Peyton. I mean, they were going they were going to rip your butt pretty Jump good if right you away. messed up. And mm-hmm. But, you know, at some point, you know, especially as you get older, and in the NFL, 25 and 26, you're getting older. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not yelling at you all the time. I mean, if you're still getting yelled at when you're in your fourth year in the NFL, you're not doing that good of a job. Right. Like, you better start finding another career here pretty right. quick. You know, I mean, it's just not... I mean, it's just not something that 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 should be happening, you know. And and so, you know, it's just one of those just one of those things. It was a great great opportunity for us and, and a chance to play for our coach that we loved. And you know, you saw that when he went in the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. How many guys were there to support mm-hmm. him? You know, not just from our team, from the Bucks and yeah, and and guys that were with him in in Minnesota. I mean, it was yeah. awesome. You Some, know, yeah, I think people might forget how good those Bucks teams were. Oh, yeah. They, right. That's that's what kind of brought them back. And the Bucks team that won, am I right that with my timing that the Bucks team that won was all his guys the year after he left? Yeah, Is that right? That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. So no, he's pretty he's pretty special for sure. No doubt about it. Um, okay, fine. So speaking of winning Super Bowl championships, I was watching that game. Uh, I'm a Chicago guy. I grew up loving the Bears. I still do. Um, and I couldn't have been a huge Brian Urlacher fan. Right. The whole deal uh, could not have been happier. When Devin Hester took the opening kickoff back for a touchdown, I said this might be the year. It was uh, was it, was it twenty years after the '85 season? Even it was somewhere in that yeah, range, but it, it, but it all kind of yeah. lined up right, right. you know. Um, and then you guys came back and beat us. So I'm gonna let you talk for a little while because there's a there's a storyline here that I don't know if people know, but your dad won a Super Bowl with the Chicago Bears, right? And then you beat his old team. To win your first Super Bowl, right? Tell us a little bit about this. Well, first and foremost, I'm as big as a Bears fan as there mm-hmm. is. You can see these hats back that's here. I, I mean, I got it. my Bears stuff. Yeah, Matter of true. fact, I have a Bears shirt on that's underneath actually, my sweater today. Actually, okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm a Bears fan. An authentic I mean, Bears fan. Period. I mean, I grew up watching them. Yeah, I still watch them. Um, I love the Bears, you know. And but at the end of the day, when you're playing in the NFL, the, the fan stuff goes out the window when you're playing. I mean right. that. Yeah, like I would pay attention to what they're doing, and I would know their players because when I was home, maybe we'd see the guys mm-hmm. out, and I would know. But I mean, I wasn't that that five year stretch. The Bears fan stuff was over. I mean, right. it just it was cool watching them on tape, and we were watching other teams. But that, you know, so so mentally that wasn't a thing. But you know, for my friends and family, yeah. all the guys that that I grew up with, all the guys that I played with in college, I mean, they're all Bears fans. Mm-hmm. You know, they're guys from Chicago, so. I didn't have many people rooting for me. Yeah, I'll be honest. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I believe my mom was rooting for me. I think my sister was like kind of rooting for me. 
Yeah. I think my dad was 50-50 the whole yeah. way, and I don't know that he ever switched off. I yeah, think he I was believe straight that. on the fence. I hope he has a good performance and a close loss to the Bears. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I would think that, that – but he wanted us to have, be the only father because if we won, mm-hmm. which we ended up doing, we were the only father and son combination to win and both play in the game. So, oh, wow. Um, he wanted that. So there's a little bit of, of, of something there, but – yeah. You know, I went. So this was one of the years. There was two weeks in between the the championship games and the Super Bowl. So, believe it or not, I went home that weekend in between to Chicago to go see mm-hmm. my buddies. You know, we were hanging out and, yeah. and and we were we were running around town a little bit and having fun as we you know as we always did and sure. and um, you know all that everyone was talking about was the Bears and it was kind of weird. I felt like I should have just stayed in Indy, you know, but. But that was, it was kind of neat, you know. And then there's a great picture of a friend of mine from, from high school who um, used to come down to the Colts games all the time. And he's from Chicago. But he was really, like, you know, rooting for me to win. And it's right after Hester's return in a mm-hmm. bar in Chicago. And he's sitting there with his hands in between his head, sitting down. Mm-hmm. And the whole rest of the bar standing up he's going nuts. nuts. Yeah. It's kind of the, I mean, it's so funny, you know. Yeah. And when he sent it to me, I thought that was the funniest thing, you know. But, you know, we knew we were going to win that game. Really? I mean, we played the Bears the year before. We had the same team, essentially. Mm -hmm. They had the same team. Mm -hmm. We beat them pretty good. Yeah. And we just said, as long as we don't screw this thing up, we're going to win, you know. And so, even after their Hester return, we all thought it was better that he returned it as the first kickoff of the game than, like, the beginning Hmm. of the second half, you know, because that can change a lot. Yeah. And we had so much time to kind of come back. We weren't really open. We weren't worried about it, you know. But, That's again, then we threw a pick on the first drive we had on offense. So then you're looking up. You know, mm-hmm. we let up a return for a touchdown. We threw a pick, and everybody just came to the sideline and said, we've got to settle down. we got to play. And, and, and from there, we just kind of started rolling. Yeah. So um, it was awesome. It was fun. You know, again, you know, my dad had, like, the half Colts, half Bears jersey on. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it was fun, you know. And, 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 and at that time, you know, I had a lot of people there that were supporting me but were also really Bears fans, yeah. you know. So it was it was cool, man. It was, it was a really cool experience. I, I really didn't want to play the Bears. I wish we wouldn't have to play the Bears. But sure. Um, it was what it was, man. There's I mean, you, got, you like, go out there and you handle your business and you, yeah. and you move on about your day. You well, you know? do your job. Exactly. You do your job. Exactly. There is something uh, like almost poetic about it, though. It's like it had to be that way. Yeah. Uh, what did you notice, just so I can take this back to Chicago, what did you notice? Why were you guys so confident? What were we missing? Um, I just think we had good matchups. I, yeah. I don't think – NFL is all about matchups. Sure. We just felt we matched up well um, – against that team and, and, and I mean that Bears team was so talented. Yeah, they, I mean, were, they had all kinds of pro was, bowlers. Sure, yeah. But but our offense was really good against the mm-hmm. Tampa too. And we practiced against it all the yeah. time with Coach Dungey. So we knew how to beat Tampa too. We were confident in that. And and obviously, you know, in a rainstorm, mm-hmm. we knew that was going to limit what Grossman could do. Yeah. And had it not rained, that game could have went in because he Grossman was a great deep ball thrower. We all know mm-hmm. that. He, he was limited in some other things he could do, but he could throw the deep ball now. Sure. And that was something that, that we knew. Um, he was a great deep ball and intermediate route thrower. But but and when it's raining like that, it limits you. Mm-hmm. You know, and you got to be able to run the ball. And, and we just knew we were going to be able to stop the run and, yeah. and force him to throw it. And, and in a rainstorm, you know, that, that didn't help him, mm-hmm. you know. And so... Um, 
You know, we, we, we probably, and it, for me personally, it stunk because I was the third receiver that year, the end of the year, and we ended up pl- playing more two tight end sets than three receiver mm-hmm. sets cause it because it rained and we wanted yeah. to run the ball. Yeah. And, and so I didn't play as much as I would have had it just been 75 and sunny like right. every other Miami day is in the entire world. And, it was and we kind get of the amazing. rainstorm yeah. and, and that deal, but that's okay. You know, you take the win every day of the week. For you guys, it was kind of the perfect storm because we. I think we thought the same thing going in. We have a defense that can play with anybody. Um, we have, like, quick score ability with Hester, and if Grossman just chucks one up, you know, we can, we can score fast. Right. Whereas on the other side, you have, like, maybe the most methodical, well-considered offense and one of the most in the history of the game probably, right? right? Um, so we knew that would be it, and the rain was kind of the um, – not an equalizer. It was no, it was the next factor. It yeah, changed. It, it changed everything. Factor. We yeah. and we ran the ball really well. And we ran mm-hmm. the ball. And we checked the ball down to the backs, and the backs yeah. did a good job of making the first guy miss and getting us six, eight, twelve on checkdowns and getting sure. the same runs of getting three, five, eight, twelve. I mean, we just went down the field and just made them work. You know, yeah. and Vinatieri kicked some big time field goals, yeah. and Man. and you look up and you know. Seal it with a pick six, essentially, you know. But yeah. who had the pick six? Kelvin Hayden from Hubbard in Chicago. Oh, is that right? So, oh, no. You know, go figure. Yeah, yeah. You know? and that's pretty amazing. Um, all right. Well, so I got I got only two questions left for you. They're almost like lightning round questions. Gotcha. Uh, the first is advice to a young leader uh, who'd like to kind of become you one day, for lack of a better term. Would like to be in a similar position. I would say the the biggest thing is to be humble and to truly grasp the big picture and don't be short-sighted. And I think that that's, that's the big thing that a lot of young coaches or young guys that are leaders, don't, they're worried about today instead of worrying about what's coming down the line and how can I get myself in a position to, to, to be somebody that this coaching world or this whatever fields you're trying to go into knows about five years down the line and mm-hmm. the more knowledge you can gain the better and don't just don't just pigeonhole yourself into learning what you know try to learn some things you don't know and I'm still struggling with that as at, at where I'm at I you know there's things that I really know that I've got to get better at as a coach and and not necessarily with the receiver stuff it's learning the other positions mm-hmm. you know and so um you know that would be a big piece of advice that I would give to, to any young person is just learn as much as you can, soak up information, and also learn about people that are different than you. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're from the North Shore and all you hang around is kids from the North Shore, and when you're around people that aren't from the North Shore, you don't really engage and, and, and hear what their story's about or what they're doing or why certain things are going on, you're never going to grow. Mm-hmm. And and that was kind of probably the one of the biggest things that I did was just when we were in college, and you're on a football team, it's different in college. You get kids mm-hmm. from all over the place. But sure. I learned about them. It wasn't like you just, oh, yeah, that guy's from St. Louis, or this guy's from the city, or this yeah. guy's from the south suburbs, this guy's from the west suburbs. It was, why is football different in the west suburbs than it is in the north? Why is mm-hmm. it different in the south than it is in the city? Yep. Why is St. Louis football different? Why is your city different? Yeah. Right? What's going on on the south side of the city that's different from the west side of the mm-hmm. city? And I think if you grow that knowledge as a person – it allows you to do a lot of different things. It's conversation points. When you meet somebody from the south side of the city, 
you've heard a little about the south sure. side and then you can engage in conversation and learn from that person mm-hmm. you know or, or or you've met people that are from xyz town and you're like oh i know that guy he yeah. played there and they're like yeah i went to high school with his sister and yeah. you you can spark conversation you know and that's a huge deal for young people in this day and age where they all they do is text mm-hmm. there's not as much conversation it's conversation gets you jobs yeah. Not text messages. No, you're right. You're right. You that, that's funny. That's another <laughs> one of those sort of uh, unsung benefits of sports is that it's almost the universal language. Yeah. Right? That doesn't mean you're going to gain a lot from it, but you absolutely could if you do the work that you did, which is actually reach out through it. Last piece. Advice to a young player or potential recruit trying to make it on to the next level. Maybe, maybe it's even super specific. Like, what kind of guy are you looking for? Well... You know, here at Vanderbilt, the first things first is academically, mm-hmm. you've got to be able to put yourself in position to succeed here, get into school here, all those things. It's important. Yeah. But if you're an academically sound kid, that means that you're, you've got your stuff together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's really important. you got to have a great work ethic. And we're going to ask your coach about your work ethic. And mm-hmm. that's why you have relationship with coaches so they don't lie to you yep. and say a kid has a good work ethic when he really doesn't. Um. And then, and then third, you know, I would just say never stop learning and never stop working because just because you have a football scholarship or 10 or 50 doesn't mean you've made it yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel like a lot of guys are, are, are doing a good job of that, but there are guys that think I've made it, I'm good, and I could skip weights today, I could skip this today, I can go over here and, and run around with my buddies instead of instead of maybe going to the gym and even even if it's just going and playing basketball, it's doing something that has to do with sports. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just gonna sit on the couch and I'm gonna play video games or I'm gonna and there's time for that too. You know, they're kids. Sure. You got to enjoy being a young guy Absolutely. and and enjoy that. But at the same time, your competition's working, right? You know, and and what's separating you from everybody else? Mm-hmm. Because once you get to college, it's all equal, right? And, and you're starting from Everybody's the bottom again. Good. And then if you're good enough, you'll rise up to the top pretty mm-hmm. quickly. But, you know, there's certain things and, and certain people that that you've got to rise above. Yeah. And, and I think that that's the biggest thing. If you don't have a work ethic, it's really, really, really hard to rise above mm-hmm. adversity. Yeah. And and I was, I had, the, I had so many things happen to me negative in college and, and, um, I very easily could have quit. Mm-hmm. And I just looked myself in the mirror and said, why? Why would you quit? Why would you do what they're trying to make you do? You need to go show them you're a really good player. You need to go show them why you're here. And it made it made me a better person. I'll, I'll leave it on this story, and, and a lot of people can relate. Um, just to, to having th- certain things happen. My sophomore year in college, um, I started the last six games of the year. I played against, uh, I played against, uh, or I played the first third receiver the first six games. I started the last six. Uh, we were pretty good. We were at one point ranked in the top ten, and, and we ended up falling out the back half of the season. We didn't we didn't play great. We lost some games we shouldn't have lost. And sure. um, after the season, um, I was just running around doing a bunch of stuff I shouldn't have been doing. And and not that it was the worst thing in the world, but you know, I was just into stuff I shouldn't have been in. I was kind of lazy. I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing, missing stuff and not going to class and sleeping mm-hmm. in. I mean, just 
you know, it was like I just figured, well, shoot, I started last year as a sophomore. Like, I'm in great shape. I'm still working hard, but, like, the little details and things that I just didn't do. And, and after, I went to go through spring football, and I probably had about as bad of a spring as you could have. Yeah. Got passed up. I think we had four guys at the exposition. I was the fourth one at the end of spring where I walked mm-hmm. in as a starter. At the end of the spring, remind you, I'm a walk-on. Right. I had just earned my scholarship right. that year. And my receivers coach, who I still talk to now, mm-hmm. told me to leave. And he said, we want you to transfer. You don't have a spot on the team anymore. Um, but they can't cut you. I mean, they can't. Sure. And I looked them in it, and, and that was a moment for me yeah. where it was a wake-up call. He said, you better get your stuff together because they're trying to kick you out of here. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You just played a spring like you thought you, 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 thought you had it figured out. And everybody else worked harder than you all off season, and you got passed up. So I looked him in his eye, and I said, respectfully, Coach, I'm not going to go out that easy. And you're not going to tell me what I can and can't do. I'm going to show you. And I really rededicated myself and, and kind of turned my life around off the field. And, and you know, from just the perspective of what I was doing, I started, I grabbed a quarterback. I was working with him every day mm-hmm. when no one else was doing anything. I was working. They were sleeping. I yeah. was working with this quarterback who I'm forever indebted to for this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and doing all these different things and working and working in weight room. I was going crazy in the weight room and I like finally dedicated myself to actually lifting weights for real yeah. and getting stronger and all those things. And, you know, I got comfortable and I got complacent. It almost cost me my yep. scholarship. It almost cost me my degree from Illinois. Mm-hmm. It almost cost me a chance at the NFL because I got complacent mm-hmm. for for four months. Right. Think about that. Four yeah. months I got complacent. Change everything. It almost cost me everything. So for young players out there, never get complacent. Attack your dreams. Attack what you're trying to do. Uh, and and when you're out, when you finally think you've broken through, keep running. Yep. And that's the biggest thing. And and I, I would never want anybody to go through what I've gone through. But you know, I've got I've got some players that I've coached that have gone through what I've gone through, and I've been able to coach them through that because I've been through it. Right. You know. That's and, good point. And um, you know, it is what it is. You know, you you take your life lessons and you and you show them that. You can overcome it if you attack it the right way. Now, if you don't right. attack it the right way, then that's when problems come out. That's right. You know, but but so that that would just a little tidbit, something different that not a lot of people know. Well, and, I think it's uh, a really cool story, and I think it's probably it's going to resonate with people. Like you're not the only person who, who did that. Got a, got a taste of success, got a little complacent, and that had that threatened to throw the whole thing. Exactly. One thing that we say for kids, for for coaches, anybody really, is that. Um, you mentioned with getting these scholarship offers, like the opportunity is step one. Like the job's right. not done. The job is starting, right? The oppor- You have the opportunity now to go work, improve yourself uh, like you did as a player and a coach over and over and over again. So right. it's true, man. So thank you so much for being with us today. No, thank you, man. It was awesome. For sure. Yeah. This episode brought to you by Hand Armor Chalk, the official chalk of USA Weightlifting. They are also the official sponsor of the Illinois High School Powerlifting Association, a partner organization overseen by the Good Athlete Project. We would not support a product we didn't believe in. Check them out at Hand Armor Chalk on Twitter and Instagram.